Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad to have you here today with Transformational Energy Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey, calling in or or joining all of you from the heartland of America. And during the show, I encourage you to go to my website, that's Transformational Energy Leadership, where you can learn more about me and my business offerings. And of course, contact me. You can send me an email at mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can find me here on this platform under the Empowerment Channel. And of course, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. Okay, let's face it. All of us, we've all worked for a good, a mediocre, and perhaps a not so good leader. And if you're a student of observation like me, I have been intrigued since a young child as to why I was motivated by one leader and not so much by another. And that's precisely why I'm here doing what I'm doing today. Anyone can be given the title, the mantle, the charge to lead. But when it comes to effectiveness, that is when things get dicey. Leadership is complex. And to achieve real success, we must examine all aspects of leadership and continually strive to sharpen skills because leaders are made, they're not born. And my friends, we are joined today by someone who really has his arms around this. He's calling in from the Netherlands. His name is Allah Hunkins. He has cracked the leadership code, and I mean this literally. He has a new book out. It's called Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders, and it's hot off the press. And Allah brings years of experience working with, coaching, and facilitating leaders around the world. And now we get to hear his sage advice here today. So welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership, Allah. Thanks so much, Matt. It is a delight to be with you here today. Thank you. I'm glad that you're calling in from the Netherlands. And okay, okay so I'm going to be honest. First of all, to all my my I, my listeners out there, I know a lot. He and I have worked together, and so full transparency there. And I have to say, a lot. I when I read your book as a researcher, I was so thrilled to see all of it supported by data, by facts, by information that really supports everything that you're talking about. So for everyone out there, his book is really, really supported by research as well as of course, real life experiences. And so, Alam, what I'd like to do is personalize you for a moment and have you, in your book, you talk about a leadership moment in 1999 that really, you learned a lot. And I think it would just help us understand who you are and to relate to you because, let's face it, we all have leadership ups and downs. So, would you mind talking about that experience? Sure. Happy to, Matt. Yeah, this is definitely one of those moments in time that was a huge leadership lesson, and it came from a huge failure on my part. And I remember the day specifically. It was October 20th, 1999. I was in New York City, and I was in a beige rented conference room with about 40 other people in a midtown hotel. I was at the annual meeting of a not-for-profit I'd been volunteering at for the previous three years. And I was really excited because today, This day was election day, and I had thrown my hat into the ring to become the organization's new executive director. Now, in my mind, I was a shoe-in for this job because no one else had worked as hard as me. No one else was as committed as I was. I was the rising star. Now, it turned out this election, I had one opponent for the position, a guy named Gary. Now, Gary was a newbie. He'd only been around maybe six or eight months. Now, I'd been told he owned his own business, but... In the organization, he was really green, so I really wasn't too worried. So it's time for the election. The votes are all cast. The ballots are all counted, and the results are announced. Final score, 38 votes to six. And my first instinct is, yes, I crushed it. And I realized, no, actually, Gary got the 38 votes, and Mm -hmm. I got six. So I was the one who got crushed. And when I met up with Gary about a month later, I kind of offhandedly was joking. I said, so, Gary, do you know you get all those votes? And his answer, Matt, totally shocked me because Gary had thought the whole thing out. He said, well, of course I knew I'd get those votes. See, I reached out to people. I met up with them for coffee or for lunch, and I got to know them on a personal level. And then I asked them 
why they were involved in our organization and what they would change if they were in charge. And then I shared with them why it was important to me. And then I finally said, I had this vision for this organization being run as a team, and I would like to help make that team happen. I'd like you to be on that team. And so would you please come and vote for me on election day to, to make that happen? So, Matt, as you can mm. imagine, as Gary told me the story, like my head exploded because everything he said was yeah. this blinding flash of the obvious, right? I thought, yeah, why didn't yes. I think of that? So yes. what I learned in that moment was what is now the subtitle of my book, which the subtitle is The Three Secrets of Building Strong Leaders, right? And what are the three secrets? They're connection, communication, and collaboration. And, and what Gary modeled in that strategy was connection, right? He reached out to people one-on-one and built real human relationships. Communication, he asked them meaningful questions. He listened to them, and then he built on what they shared. And then collaboration, he asked them to step up and take action to be part of this team and make this happen. Now, it's funny. I know that I say that three secrets, that probably sounds like super common sense. And on a certain level, it is. But like you mentioned the research. So in the research for the book, I found out that only about 23% of people think that leaders are good, that their leaders are effective. So yes, it may be common sense, but if only 23% of leaders are doing it, clearly the common sense hasn't translated into common practice. No, you're absolutely right. And what a game changer. I'm thinking, I'm envisioning you sitting at that table and experiencing that and then having that, that moment with him and go, of course, this is common sense, but it's, it's so, we, why don't we do it? <laughs> why don't we do these things? I, let's go into this, that first C. When you talk about connection, and you posit in the book that empathy is such a big part of that, and it really is a game changer for competitive advantage. I mean, you just had an example right there. Talk more about empathy, because we hear it everywhere now, which is actually a good thing. Oh, yeah. No, it's great that we hear empathy. And I mean, gosh, I mean, the fact that we're going through this pandemic right now makes it even that much more apparent because really, you know, at its core, leadership isn't about a title or power or a position, right? It's ultimately, it's a human relationship between a person who chooses to lead and a person who chooses to follow. You know, I get asked a lot, you know, what do you tell people who want to be leaders someday? And I say, it's not about waiting, Leadership is a mindset and an attitude and a way of acting and thinking that all of us can do. It doesn't matter what your title is. So empathy is at the core of that because empathy is about showing people that you understand them and care how they feel. It's, it's really, it's the root of our humanity. I mean, we are designed biologically to be what I call open-looped. That's, we respond instantly to the emotions of others. This is why when a baby cries out, you have this instinctive response to want to go and soothe it. I mean, it's why so many of us, while we're cooped up indoors, are feeling this desire to how can I help? What can I do to help somebody else during the pandemic? So it turns out that people with a more finely tuned sense of empathy are way better at building relationships, trust, and collaborating with other people. You know, they're the people who we kind of call are the people people, right? And if you think about it, it doesn't matter what business you're in, you work with people. We're all in the people business, And some of the research I found is that people who master listening and responding with empathy perform 40% higher than their peers in performance and coaching and decision-making. It turns out that empathy is the one interaction skill that outshines all the other ones to be successful. So it is the foundation on which everything else is built, Matt. Mm-hmm. And it creates what we've heard with the Aristotle Project at, at Google, that, that psychological safety, what you're talking about there, when you feel safe to, in, in that connection, that's when we feel like we can thrive. And you're absolutely right. And your example about the baby crying is so perfect in the pandemic. So we know that empathy is really important, but it's not necessarily natural for a lot of leaders. You just said it, 23% are viewed as, as good leaders, and there's a whole others that, that aren't necessarily. So what do we say for those who are really just motivated by the bottom line? When, you know, what can leaders do to really sharpen that empathy tool, if you will? Sure. Yeah. So if you're one of those bottom line people, like this all sounds like touchy feely and fine and all that's good. But uh, the fact is, 
all of what we're talking about has been shown to go right down to the body line, the bottom line. And empathy, why is it so powerful from a from a just a financial point of view? If you want to look at it through that cold, callous lens, <laughs> just that way. Uh, there's three main things. I mean, the first is that empathy fosters trust, right? And the second one, and I'll go into detail a little bit more with some of these, but and empathy fosters trust. Empathy fosters insight, and empathy fosters innovation. All of which translate into a better work product, productivity, and results. So if you look at, for example, how does empathy foster trust? Let's face it, trust is the new currency of work. You know, we live in this high-tech mobile age, and with the transparency of things like LinkedIn and Glassdoor, it is easier than ever for people to jump ship and for other employers to poach your people. And we can't mandate loyalty and commitment. So commitment's built up from the ground up, one relationship at a time. And a study I found found that high-trust organizations outperform low-trust organizations in total return to shareholders by 286%. So realizing that when we build trust with people, how does that translate? Well, let's think about it. When someone, when I trust you, Matt, I am so much more likely to go above and beyond just the basic amount of information. I'll share with you leads, good ideas, referrals, tips, best practices. I'll share with watchouts, warnings that might prevent disaster. So once I give you all that, you now have better insight to make better decisions. And obviously, when we make better decisions, we get better results. So that's really some of the keys to the bottom line as to why we want to become more empathic leaders, not to mention the fact that it's just the human thing to do. Right. Yes. Trust. What was the second one? Track. The second one is around better insight. So we've got empathy yeah. builds trust, empathy builds insight, and it also builds innovation. Like, for example, innovation, I'm sure many of us have had the experience of being in a meeting, either in person or on the phone, and witnessing an idea assassination, right? Someone puts out an idea and it gets killed, right? No, that'll never work. We tried that before. Forget about it, right? It's too expensive, right? And as soon as that happens, you mentioned psychological safety, Matt, right? The walls go up. And we're like, up. Oh, Someone shared an idea. I'm not going to share one of mine. Look what happens to ideas around here. Mm-hmm. Realizing you can't create a climate that's going to have innovation unless you focus on the climate that's going to foster the conditions for innovation to take root. And to do mm-hmm. that, empathy is a key part of that. Giving people the space, the psychological air and space and safety so that they can do that. It's, it's critical. Absolutely. Innovation, risk-taking, all of that, that last piece right there, that's the lifeblood of so, of almost, I would say every organization. If you want to be competitive, you have to have innovation. And what you're saying there is, if there's no trust, you're not really going to innovate so well. Give me, okay, so let's say I'm not, this is not my natural inclination, you know, to connect with others, to be empathetic. What's one small thing I could start doing today that I can incorporate into my routine, if you will, to start demonstrating empathy. Got it. Sure. And just a little in, in self-disclosure, right? So I like to think that there are, there are people, people who are like naturally good and warm with people. And then there are all called process people who are more kind of in their heads and more focused on process. I, by nature, am not a people person. I'm actually more of a process person. So I'll mm-hmm. give you an example of something that you can do because it's something that I needed to do. So I started off in the world of leadership consulting. When I started in the world of business consulting, I had zero business experience and I had zero consulting experience. And on day one, I was expected to consult with executive VPs and directors and CEOs. And I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know what to do. But I had this great mentor named Sue. And Sue said to me, Alain, you don't need to know everything about people's business. They do. Don't worry about being this know-it-all who has all the answers. Focus on being a learn-it-all. So what I would say the principle here is to listen with purpose. So be curious, ask questions, and listen with purpose. So, so what Sue helped me to do is in advance, we would draft a template of questions that I could use again and again with different clients. And a lot of these were very broad, generic, open-ended questions like, so what's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? Right? A very open, simple question you can ask or a wrap-up question like, so if we could wave a magic wand and if everyone on your team had the same message, what would you want the message to be? And so what I found is as I started to use the questions off the question template, the amazing thing was not only would I get great content information about the client's business, but I'd start building these very connected relationships with my clients. Mm-hmm. I remember having one of these calls with a client named Josephine. She's a director at a retail chain. 
And I asked her one of these questions. I said, you know, is there anything I should have asked you in the call that I didn't ask you? Which is, by the way, a great catch-all question. You can use the end. Uh-huh. And she said, you know, that's a great question. And as she said that, of course, my thought is, yeah, I, I wrote that on the template with Sue. <laughs> it wasn't the original. But she said, she said, you know, no, this has been great. This call's been great. But I just want to say, I feel like a weight has been lifted. It's almost like this was a good therapy session or something. So the fact is, listening with purpose creates an amazing outcome. Because the fact is, when we feel listened to, really, really listened to, it is a fast track to connection. So if you want to connect and grow your empathy muscles, listen with purpose. And what a wonderful opportunity right now is think of all the other people in the world that you know that are cooped up inside the way you are. Who wouldn't love for you to reach out and say, hey, can we just jump on a quick Zoom call or phone call or whatever it is and just Mm -hmm. check in and say, how are you doing? And just to stop and listen. Because there's something... And I've been holding these community meeting calls with clients and colleagues in my community for the last two weeks. And without fail, everyone says, you know, it's amazing. Just knowing that I'm not alone going through this and being able to share how I'm really feeling, I feel so much better because Mm -hmm. we want to be able to normalize our experience. Right now, everyone is going through the world with a certain level of fear, doubt, uncertainty, and asking two questions. What does this mean? And what should I do? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have the answers but I can listen to you. And when you feel really heard, we're more connected. So yes. listening with purpose is a great tool you can use to increase your empathy. And there we have it. And it's the, it's the power of asking, power, asking questions and listening. I, I love it very much. So listening audience out there, grab a pen or pencil and start making notes. What are the types of questions that you can ask so that you can start hearing what other people are saying? Okay, we're at a commercial break, Alain, and when we come back, we're going to continue this journey down looking at these three C's, and the next one, it leads right into communication. So everyone out there, during the commercial break, go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com. We'll see you back here on the other side of this commercial break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Take a closer look at yourself in the present. Your body has its own GPS system designed to help you follow your intuition, align your thoughts, and set your own course. Host Dee Lee is here to be your external guide to this discovery. Take a break, a mindful space to pause, and help bring forth the balance that your life deserves. Listen live for Mindful Space to Pause every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in every week for Inspired Chi Radio with A.J. Johnsack and Tracy Sanginetti. Do you sometimes feel like you have no direction? Every one of us is a soul with a body, not the other way around. Discover your talent and purpose. Tracy and A.J. help you create your most authentic life and master your powerful, positive energy using modalities like hypnosis, tarot, and your own individual Akashic Records. Join us live every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Welcome back, everyone. Today, I am joined by Allah Hunkins. He is the author of Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And it's recently released, so you can get it. And before the break, we were talking about communication, the first of the three components essential to successful leadership. So let's explore that second C, and that's communication. Yes, we all know. We hear it all the time. Communicate, communicate, communicate. It's essential. We hear it. Okay. And yet... It's it's not always easy. People don't do it well. And in fact, Allah tackles it from a unique perspective. So Allah, tell us about three major obstacles to communicating well. Yeah, Matt, you know, communication always ranks as one of the top biggest challenges that people face in organizations, both for leaders as well as for employees. So the fact is communication, while it seems like it should be so easy, right? It's like we all have mouths that can speak and ears that hear and eyes that see and fingers that type. Why is it that we get tripped up? And so in my research and in my practice, what I found was these three big challenges to communicating well. First one is this lack, what I call the lack of alignment. So if you're familiar with the game of horseshoes, you know that the goal of horseshoes is to throw a ringer, right? To get the horseshoe around the stake. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty hard to just get one is pretty hard. But if you think about truly effective communication, you've got to get three ringers in a row. And those three ringers are, there's what I mean as the sender of communication. There's what I say as the sender of the communication. And then there's what you hear as the receiver of the communication. And, you know, what I say and what I mean and what you hear, they're usually 100% in alignment, probably less often than a pandemic strikes every 100 years. I mean, it's, it's really horrible. It just, it's just so challenging for us to do that well. And, you know, there are some simple examples of what that looks like, but I'll just share a, kind of a, fun, a fun example, a, a more lighthearted example. So my name is Alain because my mom is actually an immigrant and she came from Belgium and she's a French speaker, natural French speaker. And she came over to the U.S. on the SS Rotterdam in 1964. She didn't speak much English at the time. And so uh, she was practicing English with some of her new friends she had met, met on board on the boat. And they were getting ready to go to dinner. They had to go, and she wanted to go and change. And so she said goodbye to her new friend, Emily, this American woman. And my mother was practicing her English. And she said to Emily, so I will kiss you in the French way. <laughs> so em- Emily's face just went bla- bl- you know blanched completely like pale like because of course Emily's thinking French kissing what's this woman going to do try to slip me the tongue right whereas the French way you know from the the bees 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 it's like many kisses many times now obviously that's not social distancing for today but you get the point I mean that's just a classic example of something being lost in translation from one language to another but the fact is we can both be speaking English for example and come up with very different things of what things are supposed to be. I mean, how many of us have had the experience of, of, of sending an email and then somebody gets back like, well, it's completely clear. I, I said it in the email. Like, it's clear. And so oh, yes. <laughs> what psychologists call that is, is it's called the projection bias because things are clear in our heads. And again, we live in our own brain. So whatever we mean, we know exactly what we mean. But what we lose track of is because it's clear in our heads doesn't mean it's clear in everyone else's heads. And so as a leader or someone who just wants to be a better communicator, we have to realize that misunderstanding happens. In fact, it's the default setting. So we have to make the extra efforts to go further to make sure that we're trying to achieve understanding. Because the fact is, we're not trying to communicate for communication's sake. I mean, we don't need to communicate to communicate. We want to communicate to create understanding. And the reason that understanding is so important is because understanding, accurate understanding, is the platform for us to take all future action. And so Mm -hmm. if we're not standing on a firm foundation, the actions that we're going to take are going to lead to poor results. So lack of alignment is the first big obstacle. The second big obstacle to communicating well is lack of context. As I already kind of talked about a little bit, we're super clear and live in our own heads. It's like we play the game of telephone with ourselves, but... No one else has the background information. And do we share the, prob- the appropriate amount of context or framing so people understand why they're hearing what they're hearing as opposed to just us blurting it out? Because we may be catching somebody in the middle of something else. Who knows what's going on in their head? So second big one is we have to make sure that we create context. Because without lack of context, we're going to fall into communication traps. And the third is the fact and I'm sure we can all relate to this. It's just the, the, the sheer information overload. 
mean, so many of us are bombarded with information all the time, you know, whether it comes from email, Slack, Twitter, you name it, voicemails, WhatsApp. There's so much information. No one needs more information. What we need is insight. And so we have to learn as leaders to what I call the machete of the mind, right, is to cut through the clutter, to hack a clear path from where we are to where we want to get to with our communication so we can create some shared understanding. Keep it laser focused. And all three of those are, I am sitting here going, yep, I've I've been a victim or I've done it myself and all those. The second one, when you talked about context, and I'm thinking, you know, that is so easy to do, but we forget to do it. You can do it in just one sentence. If you're typing an email, your opening sentence, just that first one. So it adds that context. Or you and I get on the phone call, hey, I'm calling you about this, just to give you context. Oftentimes, we just dive right into whatever it is. It's easy to do if, if you think about it and put it into practice and create behaviors. So that leads me to my next question for you is, what are some simple practices to start to overcome these communication obstacles? Sure. There's a lot. In the book, I go through six different practices in depth. And just for today, I just want to share one. Um, the fact is, I'm sure we've all had the experience where, let's say, we're having some kind of a meeting and then the meeting ends. And then we're all going, okay, I think I know what I'm doing. And I think I know what everyone's doing. And so we just go off and do whatever we think. Or maybe instead of talking about it in the meeting itself, we have what I call those, you know, those mini meetings after the meetings, the hallway. Like, what did you think we meant? What did we say? What did we commit to? Right? Yes. And so that, yeah. that happens consistently. So a simple fix for that is what I call asking for a receipt. If you think about it, what are receipts? Receipts are proof of a completed transaction. And in general in life, the more important the transaction, the more likely we're going to ask for a receipt. Let's say you go to the store and buy candy bar. You might not get a receipt, but you would never dream of buying a house without getting a receipt for your purchase. And so we think <laughs> if it's really important, what can we do to make sure that we're getting that receipt? And so in communication, what that looks like, well, let me give you a great example. It comes actually from the fast food industry. So back in the 1980s, it was very common that the drive-through process of ordering and getting your food, it was a nightmare. Turned out people would order through the intercom and then they'd drive up to pick up their food at the window and it'd be filled with mistakes. And this went on for years. And then suddenly the mistake rates just plummeted. And the simple fix was asking for a receipt. What the employees started to do was when people would share their order over the intercom, the employee would simply Okay, let me just repeat that back to you. You've got two cheeseburgers, an order of fries, and a, and a large milkshake. Yeah, and so suddenly we're getting confirmation. And so before they would take the next step, they would stop and confirm what they were doing. So, so something to consider is when we're having our meetings, before we finish, building in time to stop and confirm, okay, what have we decided? Who's doing what? And let's say it out loud and make sure that people can go, yeah, that's exactly what I said. Or no, actually, that's not what I said at all. Let's re- refix that. So asking for a receipt, it's such a simple tool, but it'll save you so much time. And look, if Taco Bell will do it for a 99 cent taco, don't you think the work you do is worth the same level of clarity? (laughs) Yes. Whether it's at work, if it's within a family situation, your community yeah. organization, right? Yes. Ask for that receipt. So, okay. One that will stick in my head going forward for sure. So, Alon, you know, there's so much, we're bombarded. You said this earlier with so many modes of communication going on. And, what, and, and also we add to that complexity that we are in global teams. We have, I, you know, when I used to have my global team, I had members in India and Europe and China and, and of course, spread throughout the U.S. And it was a challenge. And I, this was something I wrestled with all the time when it came with to communication and having a geographically dispersed team. And my question for you is, in, in your book, you call it Master the Medium. What do you mean, why, why is it so important for leaders to master the medium? Sure, yeah. I'll talk about what medium is and, and what this means. So, you know, if you think about it, so many of us have gotten into leadership roles, you know, formal roles, probably because we were pretty good at what it is that we did. So I've been a good salesperson. I'm now the sales team leader, etc. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to recognizing when we're sharing information to communicate, to create understanding, the words or the content itself is just one small piece of a much larger whole is realizing it isn't just what it is you're trying to communicate. It's when are you communicating? Why are you communicating? Like the context we talked about before, who is saying it? How are you saying it? You know, what's the medium and realizing as the leader, 
We both have the technological tools, whether that's email, voicemail, face-to-face, which is obviously not right now, Zoom. So how are we using all those tools as well as I am the medium. That is, I am my own physical instrument. I have a voice. How impassioned am I? How loud am I? How soft am I? How quickly do I talk? How slowly? So realizing we can adjust and alter our instrument to create different impact. And so leaders would benefit if they start to cultivate the self-awareness of how I say what I say or email or Zoom or whatever the medium might be. So we want to become more conscious of the impact that that's having. So it's a really useful thing. And obviously there are people who just spend all their time uh, training people on how to be a, a more effective medium. And that's a very useful skill. One of the key things to do to be able to get better at this is ask for feedback. It's amazing how many people I meet who just go through and do the things they do unconsciously for maybe the whole career, 20, 30 years, and never have asked for feedback about how am I communicating and what could I be doing more effectively? You know, for someone to go, you know, you speak too quickly and you need to pause more often so we can digest all the great stuff you have to say. It's really useful. And I'd rather have that at the beginning of my career than waiting 30 years later. So that's an example of what I mean by mastering the medium. Yes, and humility. And for for many people, getting feedback is, I don't want to hear it because you're attacking me or what have you. When you reframe it and look at it as, this is a gift that's going to help move my skill forward and keep thinking about so many of these things. And Alam, in your book and for the listening audience, what I really appreciate about it is he, you would describe all these things like you just did now. You tell it in a story. You give us very applicable ways to be thinking about, you know, asking for that receipt, for example. And at the end of every chapter, you have it. He has a. You have a full of I statements. I will do this, or I this, or I this. It makes it so practical and so real. So I'm just putting a plug in there for your book because it's really easy to apply. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Well, again, it all comes out of, this is coming out of 23 years of working with groups and leaders for all over the world. And for me, if it's not practical, you know, it's a great theory, but then what do I do with that tomorrow? And I just knew that the people that I work with, we all want something tangible that we can take away and use. So every chapter was designed to give you some real things you can sink your teeth into and start to use. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah, you're welcome. And it's and like when you talk about this communication pieces, how do you construct it? What are your intentions behind it? Who's the listening audience? What's the mode in which it goes out? <clears throat> and going back to one of my comments earlier too, when, when I had my global team, I really struggled with when do I have my conference calls with my team? You know, because they were so dispersed around the world. The thing that bit me in the butt is sending emails out late at night. <laughs> That's not a good thing. No, no. I mean, I get into that in the book, too. You know, this whole sense of, you know, trying to, again, uh, what you talked about, thinking about a global team is how are we inclusive? So, for example, if you're working with a team, is there one geography that always has to call in at 11 o'clock at night, you know, or or midnight or two in the morning sometimes? So how do you rotate it so that everyone has to be on that short end of the stick? So there's a sense of inclusivity and equality to that. It, It does. It makes a huge difference. So being really clear on that is for sure. Absolutely. So there we have it. That's that second C. That's the communication piece. So first we had connection. We have communication. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the third C, collaboration. So everyone out there, stay tuned. We'll be back back here in just two minutes. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Life-changing events can have positive and or negative repercussions. When they happen, they can feel elating or devastating to those affected. It can also get in the way of your personal and professional life. 
On Life-Altering Events with host Frank Zakari, we examine the scope of these events and discuss how to move forward in the wake of the opportunities presented. It's never too late to get started or pick up the pieces and move forward. Listen Tuesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Oh, hello out there and Welcome. Today we're talking with my guest, Salah Hunkins, and his author. He's the author of the book called Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And in there, Allah, you talk about the three C's. You say we need to connect, we need to communicate, and this third one is collaborate, and let's get into it. And you say to collaborate with others means people, they must be motivated. And you say leaders must be a motivational choice architect. What does that mean? Yeah, what is a motivational choice architect? That sounds strange to me. No, so yeah, so this comes from the field of behavioral economics, which was popularized by Daniel Kahneman uh, quite some time ago now. And the idea is that, you know, for years, people thought that people behave rationally. Like, you know, if there's, and what behavioral economics found is, in fact, people don't always act in their economic self-interest. There's other things that we're actually, in some ways, predictably irrational. And so... One of the things, and I talk about this in the context of the book, is the fact is I call it old school leadership, which is that we'll call it kind of command and control leadership that comes from an industrial age mindset where basically the job of the leader was to tell you to shut up, don't think for yourself, and just do what I tell you, which might have worked to a point when everyone was working on an assembly line in the widget factory, just making the same widget year after year after year. Clearly, that's not the world that we live in now. And so to think that somehow if you're the leader, it's like, I got to motivate people. Well, if you think you have to go and make people be motivated, it's kind of like being a command and control leader. It doesn't really work. So what motivational choice is around is realizing as a leader, what I can do, if I can't really motivate anyone else directly, what I can do is I can create the conditions where other people are more likely to be motivated on their own. And this is where this whole field of behavioral economics and motivational choice comes from. So, for example, there's great studies on this. They're fascinating. So, for example, Matt, if you want to get people to eat smaller portions of food, a great way to do that is to serve the food on smaller plates because it creates Mm -hmm. the perception it's filling up more of the plate. That's one example. Another example is, let's say you want people to be organ donors to, you know, and have that on their driver's license. Well, if you by law, regulate that people need to default and opt out instead of opting in. If the default is opt-in, you get way more organ donors than people who have to choose to opt-in. So thinking about this idea of how do we nudge people towards making good choices, what can I do as a leader to nudge people towards motivation? And it turns out there are four basic human needs that need to be satisfied in order for us to be motivated. So we all have this need for safety. I know in the first section, we talked about psychological safety. That's one part of safety. So we need have this need to be safe as people to be motivated. Because if we're not safe, it's really hard to do much of anything else. So there's safety. Then we also have this need for energy. That's the sense that we want to be part of an energized culture. So there's safety and energy. And then also, we have this need for purpose. This sense that what we're doing is bigger than just me. And it actually counts towards something that has some greater sense of meaning. 
So there's purpose. And then there's the sense of ownership that no one likes to be breathed down their neck. No one likes to be micromanaged. We want a sense of autonomy so that we can find our own creative way of doing what we do. Otherwise, we feel constrained. So again, those four needs, safety, energy, purpose, and ownership. And so being a motivational choice architect are looking at what can I do as a leader to foster the elements where people get those needs met. And when they have those needs met, they're going to become more motivated on their own. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those, it, it, when you think about a, a, a team that's performing really, really well, all those things are in place. I remember back in 2008 when we had this economic slump that happened and people were furloughed or hiring was frozen. And I was at a consulting firm <clears throat> and people were just hungry to get on a, on a project to be staffed. And, you know, for fear of not keeping their job. And uh, the other part of it that I'm throwing in here is from a leadership aspect, what I saw was also, okay, let's, let's get them staffed and just tell them what to do. So that whole thing about not knowing the purpose of what they were doing was lost. And through the way, some of that ownership wasn't there because, you know, the motivation to be doing projects that they really, really wanted to do. And it was, I really put the blame on the leaders because they weren't, necessarily exciting them about the work they were doing. Am I, if I'm making sense here. Oh, completely, completely. I'm sure many of us have had the experience where a leader came up and said, now, you know, um, senior management told me I have to tell you this. So here goes like, as soon as you say that you're sort of dead in the water, right? And so your credibility is shot. And so as leaders, if we can't find our own sense of safety, energy, purpose, and autonomy, Right. Um, how are we going to be able to bring that out in others? So right. this goes both ways, for sure. It sure does. Yeah. And we have to model. Abs- we have to model the environment that we want people to live in. Right. And because everyone's looking at you, whether you know it or well, when you're a leader, everyone's looking at you. And the second piece, when you talk about energy, you know, of course, on my show, I, always, I talk about energy in every show that leaders have it. There's a combination of good energy and there's some bad energy. We have to have a mix of it depending on the situation. But ultimately, hopefully, you're living in that anabolic growth oriented energy. And for you, talk about talk about energy when we think about energizing a team and a group. Sure. So I go into depth in the book about this. Yeah, I, in fact, I go through nine different examples of ways you can energize your team. I'll just share a few really simple ones that people can take, listeners can take. You can take this right now and start to use. And this is going to come up right now, by the way, because many of us are living on Zoom already, right? So we're trying to transition and trying to do work from home, remote work. And one of the challenges, there's what I call is use the 90-minute rule. I mean, many of us have had the experience of the two-hour meeting, the three-hour meeting. And we know, and it really comes to a head when everyone's doing it virtually, is no one can focus that long. And so putting in a break, scheduling in advance that, you know what, we're going to take a break, and maybe it's less than 90 minutes, it's 75 minutes, whatever it takes, because giving people that time to refresh and renew is actually more effective than trying to push through it. Pushing through is a very industrial age leadership mentality. Look, we want to lead in the 21st century, human to human, and we have to recognize we can't compete with biology, so use the 90-minute rule. That's one simple example. Another simple example is thinking of yourself as a leader. Think of yourself more as a facilitator than as a director. The fact is, as a rule, adults don't like to be told how to do stuff. They prefer to be self-directed. So as you plan your meetings, and you can do this if you're doing this via Zoom right now, ask yourself, how can I structure these meetings so team members are more involved and engaged? which ties back to what we talked about with connection and communication. So instead of telling, you could ask people a question and let them fill fill things in. Or you could even go to the team and say, who wants to take point on structuring the meeting? So draw on the expertise of the people you lead, right? The, The people around us, they're adults. They have years of experience. They have a rich bank of knowledge. You know, I'm amazed at how many people are finding over these last two weeks, industries, many industries and clients I work with, who said, oh, we can never have people work from home. This will never work. Well, guess what? Overnight, in an instant, they're working from home. And I think for many of us, we realize once those sacred cows have been slaughtered, we don't want to go back to the way things were. In fact, people are finding, some people are finding, they're actually way more productive when they can actually work in their own way and be focused on results instead of this 40-hour-a-week or 50-hour-a-week industrial-age watch-the-clock mentality. So again, just to recap, 
direct less, facilitate more, and use the 90-minute rule are two examples of things you can do to increase the energy on your team. Mm-hmm. Focus on the outcome, not necessarily the in- industrialized 40-hour work week. That makes perfect perfect sense. Yeah. And like, like you said, now we're seeing a transformation on how people are engaging, interacting. And I would guess that leadership, there's going to be something that emerges out of this. There'll be some dissertations down the way <laughs> on leading in a virtual transition that we're going through right now. So now let's think about the workplace. You know, even in, in current times, we end up going back to the office. Why should people go out of their way to have what you call workplace rituals? Sure. So if we think about what are rituals, I mean, rituals have been used for thousands of years in all sorts of cultures. And rituals are a way to make a specific moment heightened, right? And so if it's in a religious context, you could call it sacred but even something as secular as, let's say, when we have a birthday cake on someone's birthday. And notice, let's say you go to a birthday party, right? Everyone's having casual conversation, right? Chit-chat, all this, pretty casual and stuff. But that moment of the birthday cake, right? The lights go down. Someone has the cake with the candles on it. Everyone starts to sing. There's this little lovely moment where the pause before someone blows out the candles. And that's that little ritual. And that somehow when we have those those moments make the whole experience feel more meaningful and more complete. And we connect to a stronger sense of both community as well as purpose. Now, what's amazing is our personal lives are filled with all sorts of rituals. So we've got obviously birthdays. You have things like the tooth fairy. You have all your major holidays. You've got birth. You've got marriage. You've got death and funerals. We've got all sorts of rituals in our personal lives. If you look in the workplace, our workplaces are shockingly absent of rituals. So what are things that we can do to bring some of those rituals in? So maybe that's a interview ritual. What's a ritual you have around that? What do you have a, a ritual around the first day on the job? I mean, Matt, you and I share the experience. We have both worked with a client that has this amazing ritual where they bring in new consultants. And the ritual is they go through this eight-day consultant boot camp. And the beauty of it is, yeah, they're getting consulting skills. But more than that, what the organization is trying to do is embed through this ritual of we want you to feel like you have made the best choice of your entire life and you feel extremely proud of your choice to have come onto this firm. And that mm-hmm. that beginning, those eight days on the calendar, they're only eight days of a year, but they become the catalyst or the engine that drives their momentum forward for months and years beyond because it's a powerful ritual that they all have shared with each other. So we should all be looking for ways that we can ritualize Stuff. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be eight days, you know, eight days of offsite training. I mean, it can be something as simple as do you have a ritual of checking in with people one on one? And the fact is, right now, when you have everyone working virtually, one of the most important things that any of us can do is to make sure that we keep those strong one on one connections going. So making time. And when you're checking in, are you ritualizing going, hey, just want to check in? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Because the fact is, we're all going through this pandemic together. So How can you ritualize that so people know that that's coming and that they can sort of relax into the known of the ritual? So rituals are very powerful. Yes, they are. And it's because of that experience. It embeds in your brain. You just remember things so well. You know, a lot these are really good. And I, I was thinking there's another, there's something else I learned early in my career that I took with me and it just served it worked so well and that was personalizing notes and uh, you know I used to when I worked in higher education I had a team of resident advisors that worked in a residence hall they had to do reports for me every day and I thought well it's not fair that they have to write me stuff every day so I would write a personal note and put in their mailbox so when they were done with class every day they had a note for me waiting in their box and I carried that with me all through my career and anybody who's ever worked for me would say yeah yeah he used to do that and I picked that up from somebody else and it's those little things that mean so much so yes fostering a collaboration such a great point. I mean, ultimately, and we've all heard this expression, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so finding, whether it's personalized notes, there's so many different ways to be creative. But at the end of the day, we want to know that we're seen, recognized, and valued for our humanity. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Well, Alain, we're towards the end of the show now, and we've been talking about the three C's for about an hour now. And it's 
yeah. as you ref- as you reflect on and there's so much more audience there's so much more in his book and yeah. it's so applicable as you think about what we've talked about today what would you say are the three maybe four next steps actions that we can all start start taking to push this forward and really lead yeah. So Matt, I'm, as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in the power of practical, simple little things because the little things done right over time become the big things. So I just want to mm-hmm. share a couple of different ideas. So a few things that any of us can start to do more of. So connection, especially today with what's going on. So taking the time and making the space to check in and asking people, how are you doing? Like, really, I mean, this is such an opportunity for us to bond in the midst of our shared, I'll call it our shared traumatic experience we're all having right now. And it's so powerful. So how are you today? And go beyond the, I'm fine, how are you? Like to go to a level two or level three level of depth. So checking in on a regular basis with people just to see their humanity. That's number one. Number two, you want to grow your credibility? Simple thing that we can do, show up on time. And again, we could talk more detail around that. But the power of showing up on time is so valuable because it's the easiest thing to measure. You're either here or you're not. So make it a practice to show up on time. Another thing we talked earlier on communication, when I'd say around clarity, here's a little stretch for everyone. When it comes to your subject line in your email, how can you keep your subject lines to seven words or less? Like, so can you say what you need to say in seven words or less in terms of making sure it's really clear? And then a fourth one I'll suggest too, you talked about the power of personalized thank you notes. I'd say is what if you said thank you in some way, whether it's written, verbal, email, whatever, what if you said thank you once a day more than you are right now to someone, how much more would you multiply things? Again, the power of appreciation. And I go through all the research on the power of appreciation in the book. But the fact is, you know, in our minds, we appreciate people all the time, but others can't read our minds. So what can you do to overtly, explicitly show people exactly how appreciative you are? So those are some tips that I leave people with. Fantastic. And ones we can simply do now as we get off the... Yeah break away from Aaron too. I, oh, I can't thank you enough for being here today. And before we go, what would be the best way for the listening audience to get in touch with you and to get your book? Sure. Yeah. So the book is called Cracking the Leadership Code. The easiest way to find it is to go to www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. It'll take you right to the book page. You can learn all about it. You can read a bunch of advanced reviews. You can also download uh, the first chapter of the book, right from that page. And that'll also link to my webpage. You can learn more about me and the work that I do. Obviously, coach individuals, teams, and organizations. So if you want to connect with me through that, you can. And also, my name is Alain, A-L-A-I-N, Hunkins, H-U-N-K-I-N-S. You can find me on LinkedIn. And if you want, you'll see more information at alainhunkins.com. But please do feel free to reach out and connect. And I just want to thank you again, Matt. This has been such a pleasure to be able to share these ideas and hopefully be of help to all the listeners out there. So thank you for listening, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you. And for all the listening audience out there, if you have a comment, question, a person that you would like to have interviewed on the show, please go to my website or email me. And until next week, harness that positive energy and lead transformation. Take care. Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.